Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor, Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy to digest information. And now, here's today's episode. Let's do a couple questions. 62-year-old man is evaluated in follow-up examination for COPD. Despite smoking sensation, adherence to his medical regimen, good inhaler take, and participation in pulmonary rehab, he continues to experience breathlessness and mild exertion and has diminished quality of life. He has a minimal dry cough. He has never required treatment for an acute COPD exacerbation, which is good. Meds are triple drug, fluticasone, uh, umclenidamide. These names have to stop. That's a llama and valenterol, which is a lava, and you use albuterol uh, as needed. Immunizations are up to date. On exam, vital signs are normal. O2 stats 93 with the patient breathing room air. Um, breath sounds are slightly diminished. Six-minute walk shows a minimum oxygen saturation of 91% with the patient breathing uh, ambient air. Spirometry shows an FEV1 of Ooh, 36% predicted, a DLCO of 41% predicted. Chest imaging shows upper low predominant emphysema. Which of the following is the most appropriate therapy? Well, this person's maxed out on drug therapy, already went to pulmonary rehab, and still is having symptoms. So you think we should do long-term azithromycin therapy? He's not really having a lot of exacerbations. So when we talk about medications for exacerbations, that's either going to be A or C. C is reflumalast, goes by the brand name Dalaresp. And if the other option will be giving azithromycin. Um, of course, check for the QT interval and always worry about, you know, resistance and pre-selecting resistance to gram positives. I don't think A and C are the right answer. You know, supplemental oxygen, you know, he doesn't meet the... Um, the characteristics or the criteria, choose a better word for supplemental oxygen just yet. There has to be a reason why they talked about upper low predominant emphysema. This would be someone that you would consider uh, doing a consult and talking about lung volume reduction surgery. So lung volume reduction surgery, we'll talk about it, improves quality of life. It improves exercise tolerance, you know, their, select, their survival in selective patients, patients who have upper low predominant disease where one lung was more damaged than the other. You know, usually we like the FEV1 and DLCO to be greater than 20% of predicted and higher. These patients benefit if they have a low exercise tolerance after they finish pulmonary rehab. But of course, it's surgery, you know, and that's what makes it uh, really tough. 
And one of the things that we do instead of offering these patients surgery is, you know, think about what they call endobronchial therapy, where you could kind of collapse the lung from the inside. So to go back to lung volume reduction surgery, if anyone doesn't really comprehend or it's kind of fuzzy, why would someone do this? Well, it's because if you had that really damaged lung, you know, in the upper lobes, one worse than the other, if you chop it off, it's going to actually literally chop it off. It's going to get you better VQ matching. Of course, there are side effects when you do these things. But the other thing they said, there's something called endobronchial valve therapy, where you place these one-way valves in the area of the lungs that have that, you know, really bad area. And it will kind of induce atelectasis. So it's kind of like doing lung volume reduction surgery, but minimally invasive. But, you know, for, you know, endobronchial therapy, though it's FDA approved, they don't have the mortality data just yet. I'm sure they'll eventually get it. But... That's a minimally invasive alternative to lung volume reduction surgery, which in select patients do have uh, mortality benefit. So with that being said, I want to say a couple of statements about, hey, the role of CT, the GOLD 2023 guidelines, are actually pro-getting a CT in stable patients with COPD for certain reasons. If there's someone who has frequent exacerbations, excessive coughing, sputum production, Maybe getting that CT to look for bronchiectasis. Maybe they need some airway clearance over there, you know? Look at this. Maybe they can't be a candidate for lung volume reduction surgery. And here's gonna be a classic CT over here where the right lung is much worse than the left, even though both lungs are horrible. You know, we said if they're upper lobe predominant, one lung worse than the left. But look at one of my bullet points here. You can also consider a CT for endobronchial valve therapy, you know? But there's a very special protocol you need to do for that. You should talk to your interventional pulmonologist. And just yet, there hasn't been any survival benefit from doing this, which I'm sure it will. And last, of course, it's unfortunate people with COPD, well, high risk for uh, lung cancer. So maybe gain that CT in terms of getting a, you know, your annual low dose CT for lung cancer screening in certain patients. So when to add an inhaled corticosteroid to long acting bronchodilators. The goal 2023 gave us some, some guidance with this, which I thought was really, really nice. So these are factors to consider when adding the ICS to long acting bronchodilators. What strongly favors the use of inhaled corticosteroid if you're having lots of hospitalizations and exacerbations for COPD? No questions asked. If you're having more than two moderate exacerbations of COPD per year, if you're going to have blood eosinophils are greater than 300 cells, you know, so maybe because there's an asthma component there, that's going to be a strong part of it. That's why the next line said, you know, history of asthma or, or you know, combined with asthma. But, you know, eosinophils in itself have shown that story correlates with the effectiveness of having inhaled corticosteroids. So interesting. Yellow, what kind of favors do you use? If you have one moderate COPD exacerbation per year or your blood eosinophils are somewhere between 100 and 300 cells, you know what goes against the use of inhaled corticosteroids? If you're having lots of pneumonias. And of course, that was one of the side effects about giving stable patients with COPD inhaled corticosteroids, putting them at high risk for pneumonia. Or if they have very low blood eosinophils, or of course, if they have a history of mycobacterium infection, like not just tuberculosis, maybe just, you know, MAI, mycobacterium avium complex or intracellular. 
So I thought this was kind of interesting because, you know, when we talk about COPD or any chronic disease, you always want to talk about mortality. So the goal 2023 has some evidence supporting a things that support a reduction in mortality with both pharmacotherapy and non-pharmacotherapy. And this was very interesting. So, you know, number one for pharmacotherapy, there has been studies about the LABA LAMA ICS that show that, hey, it may improve survival. And uh, there are a couple of trials out there. I'll put a picture of it in the next slide, talk about the IMPACT trial or the ETHOS trial. So very interesting. For non-pharmacological therapy, there's, there's smoking sensation. So of course, combining different modalities, you know, giving brand name Chantex, which is probably one of the most common things I use, thinking about, you know, um, things like bupropion, combining it with nicotine replacement, combinations with cognitive behavioral therapy, reduce mortality. Pulmonary rehab has been studies that show it reduces mortality. Long-term oxygen therapy is up there. Of course, non-invasive positive pressure ventilation. People who are discharged, who are hypercapting and hypoxic might benefit from this. And lung volume reduction surgery. You mentioned already people with upper lobe disease. Don't forget, let me mention lung transplant should be up there. And certain people, people with COPD can both get a single or double lung transplant. And because I was so surprised about the triple inhaler therapy and mortality, I wanted to put a, the journal articles that we're talking about. This is the New England Journal of Medicine, the article that showed mortality benefit, triple inhaled therapy at two glucocorticoid doses in moderate to very severe COPD. And the other one is an article that's titled Reduction in All-Cause Mortality with Fluticasone combined with um, a LABA and a LAMA in patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So yeah, this is something that's going to be a big change in how we think and how we manage COPD. So as we get close to the end, and I apologize, I'm going to probably just go an extra five minutes, you know, that how do we manage COPD? Of course, making the correct diagnosis, you know, uh, categorizing their symptoms, their risk factors, so we can address those risk factors, getting spirometry, and repeat if it's borderline COPD. So if you go to the bottom of here, there's something called PRISM, Preserved Ratio uh, impaired spirometry. And these occur when you swear this patient has COPD, they have a big smoking history, and they have a normal ratio. It's not less than 70% predicted, but the FEV1 is less than 80. So this is a terminology you may consider called PRISM, preserved ratio, impaired spirometry, or just repeat it, you know. Then after you do make the diagnosis, you do your initial assessment. We talked about doing spirometry, looking at the FEV1 to being called gold stage one, two, three, or four. Symptoms can be categorized using one of two questionnaires, the CAT or the MMRC. And you want to do this along with their exacerbation history to call them gold stage A, B, or E. No more C and D. Always make sure they're not smoking still. You'd be surprised. Low threshold to get alpha-1 antitrypsin, especially if they have liver issues or skin issues. And of course, dressing comorbidities, whether it's obstructive sleep apnea, whether it's going to be pulmonary arterial hypertension. And that management should be smoking sensation, getting vaccines. You know, and when I say vaccines, make sure you're addressing things like pertussis, making sure you talk about the new uh, pneumonia vaccine, the, the 20 that's going to be out there, encouraging lifestyle and exercise, you know, thinking of uh, things just as inhaler technique, managing comorbidities. Then from there, of course, what's going to happen in follow-up, review the symptoms, symptoms, you know, uh, address smoking sensation. That should be over and over again, you know. And of course, you know, do they need oxygen now? Do they need 
non-invasive because they're going to be hypercapnic. You know, if they're already maxed out on, you know, drug therapy, do they be evaluated for lung volume reduction or uh, lung transplant, you know? Um, and of course, you know, I think that if they want to have a number, something objective of how their lungs are doing, consider spirometry at least annually in some patients. And of course, you want to adjust your pharmacotherapy and non-pharmacotherapy. So uh, I know this is my last question because I'm looking at the time at the same <laughs> while, I'm, while I'm giving the lecture. So let's talk about this 64-year-old uh, man is evaluated in the ED for COPD exacerbation characterized by increased dyspnea and increased purulent sputum production. Homeds are going to be uh, Mometazone and Formoterol, goes by the brand name Dulera, uh, Teotropian, which is by Riva, and Albuterol inhalers. On exam, he's a febrile, normal, tensive, tacky, and tachypnic, and O2 stat is 93% breathing oxygen at 4 liters uh, per minute by nasal cannula. Pulmonary exam reveals diffuse wheezes on expiration, but no use of accessory muscles. The remainder of the exam is non-contributory, arterial blood gas, pH is 7.36, PO2 is 65, that's on 4 liters, he's hypoxic, and the PaCO2 is 43, not hypercapnic. Chest x-ray shows hyperinflation, and of course, some flattened diagrams, especially if they got a, a lateral view, that's when you can see the, the, the flattened diaphragms the best, but no infiltrates. Uh, nebulized albuterol and oral azithromycin are initiated because in people with severe COPD, we do initiate antibiotics such as azithromycin. Uh, which of the following is the most appropriate additional management? So does this patient need high flow nasal cannula? I don't pretty much don't think so. He's 93%, you know, I don't think he needs high flow nasal at this time. Does this patient need to be on, you know, kind of a, a bi-level device such as a BPAP? Patient's not hypercapnic, you know, I'm sure he's not, you know, feeling great, but he's not using accessory muscle use. So I don't think, you know, non-invasive is the call exactly at this time. Should we do a sputum culture? You have a negative chest x-ray, you're already putting him on some antibiotics, you know, that's kind of the guidelines when we talk about COPD exacerbation. So the only thing that really makes sense here, especially with his wheezing, that, you know, when you hear a lot of my lectures, I always say steroids, they have you know, definitely benefits, but there's so many side effects. But I wanted to put a question here that says, hey, this is when you want to give steroids. So the answer here is going to be C. And the reason why I put this is because they definitely can improve a COPD exacerbation, which is what's going on here. But I really, people always pull me inside and say, what dose, what dose, what dose? So in even though, you know, everyone's a little bit different and everyone has their personal preference of treating. You know, for the board exams, that's what people are going to ask me. Patients with COPD exacerbation, short courses of lower dose glucocorticoids oral, such as prednisone 40 milligrams per day for five days have been found to be equivalent to higher doses, longer courses, and IV administration. So everyone's different. I know that this is not everyone and many of us will kind of default when they're in the hospital to put them on IV and higher doses. But for the port exams, you know, what should be your go-to initial dose of uh, steroids for COPD is prednisone 40 milligrams for a five-day course. I really do try to stick to this as much as possible, but everyone is different. But this is definitely your go-to answer on the board exams. And with that being said, you know, I really hope everyone enjoyed the last, you know, four weeks together. I really love, you know, teaching all this up-to-date stuff. And I really wish everyone 
uh, all the best on their exams. I really can't wait to meet everyone uh, face-to-face one day. And good luck, and I really hope you enjoy these updates. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Raj. Okay, it looks like we have um, a couple questions. Um, sure. There's one in the Q&A window and then two in the chat. Um, I'm taking the MOC in October. Does up-to-date uh, access help in the exam? What a great question, you know. So take it from me. Uh, I, you know, I actually took my uh, recertifications and medicine and sleep, critical care and palm. And I got to tell you that, you know, don't rely on up to date. You know, I for me, I think up to date was kind of a distractor. I think it kind of questions your knowledge and kind of questions second guesses it. You know, there are a few times where I thought it was great. I think that there are a couple of memorizing questions where it's just kind of like if they ask you something very specific, you have to memorize. If you knew how to get there really quickly, sure. But really, uh, the biggest thing is timing. And I felt every time you go to up to date, that clock keeps on ticking. And it's really annoying. Like, oh, my God, where do the minutes go? And you, and you don't get to answer the questions you really do know. So my advice is, you know, for me, uh, I take the whole test. Then you're allowed to have a paper or something where you could do like you could like a race board. I kind of write the question numbers that hey, I could probably go back and up to date if I have a moment. And I use up all the time. I know some people, you'll sit next to me like, wait a minute, how do they finish the test so quick? Um, you know, I, I just sit there and I the questions I can't get, if I feel they're just memorizers, I do it. So I wouldn't rely on up to date during the MOC unless you have extra time and, you know, there's really something that's blatantly you know where it is and it's just a memorizing question. I love that one. That was a good one. And uh, let's see, here's the link, previous lectures, if you have questions, how soon may I exit the lecture, nearing the end, let's see, on the board, I am confused, I'm confusing reflumilast with azithromycin, if presented in the answer to pick one versus the other, which one would I pick? So they would have to give you a contraindication for one or the other. They both do the job really, really well. You know, um, reflumilast is the FDA-approved drug. Azithromycin is a commonly used antibiotic for this. Um, you know, I probably would say a classic one I've seen is the, the, the uh, and reflumilast really is for more people with chronic bronchitis, not really for emphysema, though we use it for both commonly. But I would say if they give both, they have to throw something like EK, ECG stuff. So if they have a history of, you know, cardiac disease, especially if they say the QT interval is long, you definitely would probably pick reflumilast or vice versa, if someone has weight issues or depression issues, I'll probably pick azithromycin. But one is not better than the other. And in some cases, clinically, I do have patients on both. Can you go figure that, you know? So they would have to give you side effects for one to choose the other. Great question over there. I joined late, but I wanted to hear about the use of antihistamines in asthma or COPD. And, you know, um, when we talk about asthma in itself, you know, at Antihistamines are not really the mainstay therapy for allergic asthma. You know, I think that they are good for allergies. And of course, many people with allergies have asthma. But when you talk about the dogma of core things we use for, you know, asthma therapy, with the assumption we're referring to allergic asthma, it really comes down to 
inhaled glucocorticoids, which is such a big part of using those inhaled glucocorticoids, you know, as your as needed and your maintenance together. So it's not wrong to give antihistamines, you know, but uh, that's not one of the core things that I think about in our pure asthmatics, you know. There may even be a better role of those in Maspell activation syndrome in certain cases. Same thing with COPD. Why can't someone who smokes have allergies? So you definitely can use antihistamines. They're not part of the core thing that we use, the dogma of drugs that we use to treat people with COPD. Great question. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Raj, for sharing your knowledge and time. Thank you both for whoever said that. It really makes my day. Thank you, Dr. Raj, so much. Great pleasure. She attended all of them. That just, oh my God, one of the best things I've ever read. All right, that's awesome. And thanks for everyone staying on just to hear me do my little banter. That was so nice of everyone. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.